in Las Vegas. Just after 8 o'clock, I'm Brian Feldman, and this is Out of Line. We are here live, same time every Sunday on Fox Sports Radio, 98.9 FM and 1340 AM, flagship of the Vegas Golden Knights, coming to you live from the Wisden, uh, basically at the 95 and Jones Boulevard in Las Vegas, because we have been booted from the Fox Sports Residential Bank Corp studios until further notice due to COVID protocol. COVID protocol. I've been saying it so much, Spence, and I'm getting it wrong. And back with me today, live here in the Wisden, of course, is Spencer the Wiz Ostrovsky. Nobody beats the Wiz. Nobody beats the Wiz. Worthy of his own theme music and completely recovered from COVID-19. Uh, been um, social distancing the past couple of weeks. That's why last week we were in my office doing the show. Of course, also producing the show and social distancing as well. Back in the Fox Sports uh, Residential Bank Corp studio is Chris Magnum Chapman, who aside from producing a number of shows at Lotus Broadcasting, is also the locker room reporter for the Vegas Golden Knights Radio Network and the pre-pre-game show host on ESPN, the leader in Las Vegas of UNLV rebel football and mags did a great job yesterday some pretty cool stuff uh really good interview with john sandler we'll talk about that in a little bit the uh voice of the runner rebels basketball team for many years now on um on the the, the rebels radio network also the show is streaming live on the lv sports network that's this show and you can watch the show on facebook live the page is called out of line that's o-u-t-t-a-l-i-n-e and you can follow the show on instagram and twitter the handle at out of line fox lv pretty simple since we are live your calls and questions are welcome the fox sports residential bank corp studio line is 702-876-1340 Hi, this is Bubby, and it's time for What's on Tap. What's on Tap is brought to you by title sponsor, Residential Bank Corp. Whether purchasing a new home or refinancing the home you already own, Residential Bank Corp is the company you can turn to for all your home financing needs. Residential Bank Corp, funding America one neighborhood at a time, now offering $2,500 free to everyone and anyone who qualifies for a home purchase loan in the state of Nevada. Call 702 964 Five seven two zero on tap. The Vegas Golden Knight two games under their belt, one and one. How's it looking? Well, we're going to talk about that on Nightcap in a few minutes. We're also going to talk about Mark Andre Fleury, who did something last night that might have caused a little bit of deja vu from last year. What am I talking about? We'll stick and stay, and you'll find out. Also on tap. Um, we'll be talking a little bit of Major League Baseball playoffs today during Fact This and UNLV uh, still winless. Yesterday looked different, but same results. We'll talk about that as well with Mags, of course. Uh, he'll join us for that segment. And uh, um, also, we are going to be joined a little bit later in the show by former Redskin. I should, he was a Redskin at the time. You can say the Washington football team now, but Jay Schrader, also a Las Vegas Raider, but he was a Oakland Raider back then. And um, the guy's got a Super Bowl ring, but playing for both Washington and Vegas, of course, different ownership when Jay was playing. Al Davis was still alive and owned the Raiders when he was playing for them. And I believe it was Jack Kent Cook that owned the Redskins, uh, the Washington football team at the time when uh, Jay played. But maybe not. We'll find out. Uh, I'll talk to him about that in a few minutes. Um, the Raiders do play today in Denver against the Broncos after all the controversy this week about John Gruden. We'll talk about that as well. And, of course, week six matchups. There's some good ones 
huge upset in college football yesterday in the Big Ten. The number two seed or number two ranked team fell. So that opens the door for another team like Cincinnati, who is looking more and more like they will be in the college football playoffs this year. We'll talk about that and uh, maybe a little bit more. Um, again, that is what's on tap. If you are looking to buy a home or to refinance the home you currently own, choose a company you can trust, Residential Bank Corp, Funding America, one neighborhood at a time. And right now, once again, Residential Bank Corp is offering Nevada home purchasers $2,500 absolutely free, no catch, in to help with their closing costs for anyone and everyone who does qualify for a home loan purchase in the state of Nevada. Again, call 702-964-5720 for details. Spence, what is going on, man? It's good to see you. You look healthy. You got color in your face. And you're far enough from where, away from me where if anything is lingering and can get through, hopefully it won't. I'm feeling a lot better than I did on Sunday. I was out. Like, as soon as the show was done, I went right back to bed for pretty much the entire day. Uh, I'm, I'm actually very lucky that I had gotten the vaccine because I may have ended up in the hospital if I didn't. I was that bad for a while. So obviously the vaccine helped me um, kind of down the symptoms of COVID. So I, 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 would, I don't like to imagine otherwise. And uh, I'm feeling better now. And, you know, thank God for that. Well, you know, when I had it, I was unvaccinated. It nearly killed me. It had gone into my lungs. I may not be here today. This is no joke, as we've all found out. Most of us experienced it to this point. Mag's back in the studio, fortunately, has never had COVID, to my knowledge, and is vaccinated. So uh, the cool thing is, Chris, is this vaccine seems to the most to do the most important thing, and that is keep death out of the equation. Yeah, I I don't know too many people who who've gotten COVID. I think Spencer actually may be the only one I know who's gotten it since they've been vaccinated. But uh, you know, very glad that that he's okay and and happy that that he's back with the show. Yeah, absolutely. Well, the guy who gave it to me, my good friend Ben Jennings in uh in Houston, uh, he was vaccinated and gave it to me, and uh, he actually had it worse than I. Well, I can't say worse than I did. Maybe for a day worse than I did. I had it really, really bad. And you know, I recommend, hey everyone, just follow protocol, man. Get it done, and and make this world a safer place. At least that's on the on the surface what we're being told. And until I see otherwise, I'm telling you, be all over that uh, vaccine like a hobo on a ham sandwich. My opinion and my cliche. All right, enough of that. Let's get to. Uh, let's get to Nightcap, man. We definitely have a lot to talk about there. Hockey players, as you know, are warriors. They don't give up. They come to play every game. It's time for Nightcap, a cup full of the Vegas Golden Knights. From highlights to interviews to special events, the puck starts here. Before we get into the Vegas Golden Knights, Chris, and talking about uh, how you said, you know, although the preseason should not be indicative of what you're going to see in the regular season, um, right now it seems like a carryover. The Vegas Golden Knights, regardless of the of the shuffled lineups in the preseason, didn't play a full 60 minutes in any one of those games, ended up under 500, and we'll talk about that in one minute. But I want to start the show talking about something that happened yesterday. Marc-Andre Fleury had a chance to play against his other former team, the Pittsburgh Penguins, Chris. I don't know if you saw it, but um, with under 12 minutes to go in the first, I should say under 12 minutes into the game in the first period, Fleury had already given up four goals. He was pulled from the game. And Chris, it looked like deja vu. He had a gaff behind the net again. Same, almost the exact same thing. Threw the puck into the side of net. Pittsburgh picked it up. A very, very easy goal, um, which was was mind-blowing for Drew O'Connor, who just like, man, the easiest goal of his career without question. Um, 
Chris, what is this? I mean, it, it looked like if, you know, I, I didn't see the game. I only watched the highlights, but they even talked about it. That it looked like Marc-Andre Fleury was not only just a step slow, like almost not chalotting a bit. And that is so un Mark andre Fleury-esque. Yeah, he, he misplayed the puck, as you mentioned, behind the net. And, uh, well, it looked like he started to, to, to go to play the puck, and then he kind of realized, uh-oh, I, this probably isn't the spot to do it. There were some, some Penguins closing in on him. He then decided to go and play it, and he had the gaff. And I think that was the second goal of the night that he gave up. But, man, he rough, rough go for him last night in Pittsburgh. He was pulled in that game. Uh, the Blackhawks, a team that went out, and they, they really tried to make a big splash this offseason, brought in Seth Jones. He hasn't exactly looked like himself yet either in in the Windy City. And, uh, you know, you look at what the Blackhawks did on Friday night. They lose in overtime to the New Jersey Devils, and it was Jack Jack Hughes with a <laughs> ph- phenomenal game-winning goal to, to shake out the backup goalie, Lekkinen. Uh Look, for Chicago, they, they, they have some questions early on. I think... Um, you know the the play of Flurry last night was was worrisome uh, because he he played really really good in Pittsburgh uh, with the Golden Knights. I think he actually got a shutout there uh, in 2019 when he was playing as a member of this team. So uh, you know it could be could be a lot of things. Maybe it's look one of the big question marks with the Blackhawks was their defense, and I think in front of him he doesn't exactly have the same type of caliber players that he had with the Golden Knights, but. I'll tell you, last night was not a really good endorsement of Marc-Andre Fleury. I think he'll bounce back. Look, we all know he he is a true professional. He'll bounce back. He'll be fine, I hope, in their next game because I really like Marc-Andre Fleury, and and I wish him nothing but the best. And I, I hope he has a really good season, but last night, not a very good night for him. The ultimate competitor, Chris, a true wolf in sheep's clothing. You'd never look at him and think he was as fierce as he is as a competitor. Uh, like I said, I've said this many times, a lot of players carried a chip on their shoulder when they were the, considered the misfits back in 2017-18 in their inaugural season. You never would have thought Fleury had the chip. He was always smiling good. But I'll tell you what, inwardly, he carried that chip more than anyone else on that team. And it, it led him all the way to last year to a Vesna Trophy. That's how well he's played over the last four seasons. We saw a gaffe in the Stanley Cup semifinals against the Montreal Canadiens, one that the uh, Golden Knights never recovered from, being honest. That's just the way it was. They went down two games to one in the series and never recovered from that. Uh, you know, Although they nodded the series back up with a Game 4 win, they just weren't the same team. And you could see it in Game 5, Fleury's confidence completely shaken. Spence has that goal last night. This is what it sounded like if you were listening to the game. Puck rolls down toward Flurry, hesitates. He had to wait. And back in front, and O'Connor puts it home. His first National Hockey League goal, DOC. DOC, known as Drew O'Connor, his first ever National Hockey League goal. And like I said, it's the first goal and the easiest goal he'll ever get in his career. Um, and not laughing in any way, shape, or form. I genuinely felt bad for Flurry. Four goals on eight even strength shots. Overall, he stopped just six of ten shots on goal. That is not going to cut the mustard. We know Fleury's better than that. I don't care if he's 38 years old. I think Marc-Andre Fleury will have a decent season. Hopefully, he'll use this as motivation, but he's got to stop that, man. He has got to play uh, 
full, a full game and, and not just because he's got he's a, a seasoned veteran as seasoned as it comes you cannot notch a lot of puck behind the net and that's two times inside of two seasons that he's done it once at a crucial time in the playoffs and again last night really it, it shook his confidence and two more goals came shortly after that and you get pulled in the first period not a good thing Chris moving on to the Vegas Golden Knights they nearly blew a three goal lead in their season opener last week against the expansion Seattle Kraken people out there we know in Vegas number one that an expansion team that comes in by themselves like Vegas is not a brand new team loaded with a bunch of young players this is a team loaded with veterans not as talented as the Vegas Golden Knights were when they had their inaugural season in 17-18 but the Kraken are going to be in most games that they decide to be in they've got a great goaltender as they know they picked up Colorado's goalie from last year this is a team that can play hockey and will win some games and might even contend for the fourth playoff spot in the Vegas Golden Knights division, which I think is the weakest in hockey. Although the LA Kings surprised me uh, with with a, a big 6-2 to two win in their second game over the Vegas Golden Knights where they just did not look good, Chris. Um, and losing Patch Reddy and Mark Stone, uh, you know, and I'm laughing about the, you know, I'm so tired of it. In the NFL, they have to tell you what the injury is. In hockey, anything below the waist if you get one of your nuts crushed, it's a lower body injury, and that's it, and that's all they're going to tell you. And DeBoer is one of the most tight-lipped guys when it comes to the injury report anyways. But, Chris, you got to be a little bit concerned, even though it's only two games in. Well, I, I mean, we can't push the the panic button, right? We, we can't overreact to, to one game. But there certainly is, I think, cause for concern because you've already got – a. Essentially, you were only rolling three lines in that in those first two games because of injuries to Nick Waugh, Brett Howden, and uh, William Carrier. Now you lose Pacioretty for, it sounds like, about six weeks. Um, and we don't really know the status of Mark Stone. We, we've heard day-to-day, and they're evaluating him. The evaluating part still sounds a little concerning to me because until we know for sure exactly how long he's going to be out, we, 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 we don't really have anything to go on. Uh, you know, the, the, it's it's a good stretch for the Golden Knights to have a basically a week off because they played on, uh, what was it, Thursday against the Kings, and they don't play again until Wednesday. So six days in between games for them. Hopefully they're able to get a couple more guys back in the lineup, specifically William Carrier, who we, we believe was in concussion protocol, and, uh, and we're not sure of the status of Nick Waugh or Brett Howden, but clearly this is a team that, if you are missing those three guys, Howden, Wah, and Carrier, as well as Stone and Pacioretty for this upcoming homestand, look, they got three games in, in a matter of a couple days. They've got the Blues on Wednesday, the Oilers on Friday, and then the Islanders come into town on Sunday. If you are missing those five guys, and we know for sure they're going to be missing at least one of them, your number one goal scorer, if you're missing that many players you're basically going to have, at this point, you've got the misfit line, Chandler Stevenson, and then you've got the third line of Nolan Patrick, Evgeny Dodonov, and hopefully Matias Yanmark is out of COVID protocol because he hasn't played yet this season because he's been in COVID protocol. Uh, we, we know he's vaccinated, but we, we also know that he's now in protocol. So uh, it's it's one of those things where the Golden Knights are really, really going to have to find some type of spark from hopefully one of the guys that they're going to call up from Henderson. We saw three players make their NHL debut in the first two games. Jonas Rombierg, uh, um, uh, 
well, Peyton Krebs has already played. Uh, Ron Bierk was one of them. Yeah, uh, Pavel Dorofeyev and Jake Lecision, who also made his debut for the Golden Knights. So we've had three guys make their NHL debut in two games. Peyton Krebs only played in his seventh NHL game on Wednesday night, or I'm sorry, on Thursday night. That fourth line of Krebs, Lecision, and Rombierg, they played pretty admirably in that blowout loss to the Kings. They didn't allow a goal when the three of them were on the ice. And a real positive for them was Keegan Colasar. He led the forwards in ice time, and that was including also having served a five-minute fighting penalty. So Keegan Colasar is a guy who had a really, really good camp. He really seemed to come on the end of last season. And a lot of people, look, you put your, 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 your memory cap on and you look back to last season. The Golden Knights refused to option him to Henderson because they knew they were going to lose him if they did. He's proven them to be right. I think he's he's only got one place to go, and that's up. He's a guy I'm, I'm really fascinated by, really excited watching, because watching the growth of Keegan Colasar the last couple seasons, he's a guy who, who I really think can step up if they ask him to. If he's the guy that they tab and say, hey, Keegan, we need you to step up, I think he's up to the task. No, Chris, I agree with you, and Keegan Colasar is showing us one of the reasons they were able to let Ryan Reeves depart, because Keegan Colasar is a physical player, he will fight, he is a tough guy, and with him and Will Carrier, you have two tough guys, I mean, Will Carrier is built like a brick S-house, and uh, someone you don't want to mess with, if you, we've seen him in the locker room, he's a big dude, and uh, you know, another guy you don't want to piss off, and a guy that, that has a way of, a knack of getting in front of the net, um, so I think those guys justify why uh, another reason Ryan Reeves was like, oh, but you're right, Keegan Colas out of the upside is tremendous because not only his physicality, but the fact that he can put the puck in the net is a big plus. We got to move on from this because I uh, we got to definitely give um, – we're going we're gonna to cut, cut a few segments and we'll come back a little bit later, but I want to make sure we get Jay Schrader on the line. It's at uh, 8.30. I think he's on a golf course, so I want to do that on time. But I do want to say that uh, I do think that the five games, the full five days off, will help the Golden Knights. I will say that whenever I've seen a guy depart the ice, like I saw Mark Stone do in the second period of the L.A. Kims games, Chris, that always to me has meant surgery. It is a knee injury. He couldn't put weight on a leg. That is not a good sign. You can call it a lower body injury. Call it whatever you want. I'm interested to see what the what the prognosis is. But even um, Pete DeBoer said he was hurt before the game, but not hurt enough not to play. But the but the bottom line is he couldn't put a drop of weight on that leg as he exited the ice. We haven't seen him since, and this could be a long-term thing. Nothing really has come out in depth about it to this point. But again, when you see somebody favoring a leg like that, typically it ends with a knife or a laser. And uh, and, and and that's just all I'm going to say about that. Again, uh, the Knights take to the ice. They've got some time off Wednesday. They'll play the St. Louis Blues. Friday, um, Connor McDavid and the Edmonton Oilers come to town. And then on Sunday, they'll play the New York Islanders, another really good team, as we saw last year, two times now back-to-back, making it to the Stanley Cup semifinals. Uh, pretty good with them, but uh, at least all three games are at home, and it's going to be a real good test for the Knights and also a test for Robin Leonard. There's a lot of weight on that guy's shoulder. Is he the man? Well, time's going to tell. I think Robin Leonard has has the talent, the style, and he's a big body. It's a whole different style of Marc-Andre Fleury, but I think he can play the net. So um, we'll see what happens as, as the, moving forward in the season, but I...
I am concerned. And I think, you know, a month or however long it is down the road, they're going to definitely welcome back a guy like Alex Tuck. As Chris mentioned, somebody's got to step up. Somebody like Alex Tuck would be a type of player to step up right now with them reeling. And yet he's also a guy on the shelf uh, for another six weeks or so. So it's going to be interesting uh, as, the, as the season progresses to see what happens and uh, the injury status of both Mark Stone and Max Pacioretty as those are just keys to the Golden Knights having success this year. As good as everyone else is, I think without having Mark Stone, that no matter how bad he might have played in the Montreal series, is a gigantic loss for this team. You're talking about, in, in, you know, one of the top players in the National Hockey League, one of the top goal scorers, and also Mark Stone is a, is a great two-way player, a tremendous asset on the power play and on the penalty kill, a guy you got to have on the ice. You paid big money for it. You made some big moves to get him, and they got to get healthy. But, again, that injury scared me a little bit. Uh, Chris, I don't know, do we have Jay on the line yet or no? Uh, I, I don't know anything about getting jay oh well look at look at the the log there's his number at the bottom of the show log you'll see jay jay schrader give him a call right now if you would and that's on there and real quick but while we're doing that we'll come back and talk to this um we'll talk about this spencer a little bit later on but unlv's football game yesterday um wow it's it's head scratching you know i i looking at the schedule and especially as of late, I thought if there was one game on the schedule, even though Utah State was above 500, I thought if there was one game on the schedule that UNLV could win, it would have been the Utah State game. And what an exciting game to start. I mean, UNLV takes the opening drive, drives down, gets a field goal, and then Utah State returns the ensuing kickoff for a touchdown. The next series, second play from scrimmage, Charles Williams win, runs for like 61 yards. And before you know it, it's like 10 seconds. Like, whoa, when did offensive fireworks become part of Rebel football? And it was kind of exciting. First quarter ends at 17-7 UNLV. And it really looked like it was their game. I mean, Spencer, they led the game until late in the fourth quarter. But somehow something that they do and it's very remind it's almost like nightmares from home because of the detroit lions and watching what they've done my entire life but unlv found a way to lose this is a winless football team and you know when you're up three points how are you going to play so conservative at the end of a football game they weren't even trying to go for the first down they were content with three and outs and wasting as much time on the clock and really the quintessential part of the game for me was either the last drive or the drive before you have uh, Justin Rogers come in, and it's third down. It's like third and seven, and they go for a little curl route that goes for four yards. How are you not trying to go past the first down marker? I mean, come on. This is a winless football team. Justin Rogers is the reason, Spencer. They, um, Arroyo and the team the has no faith in him. Yards. I was standing on the sidelines for the second half of the game, and when Justin Rogers in the second play, the entire team is like, throw the ball. His teammates are pissed at him, and he takes another sack. Just And he had time, too, I mean, to at least throw the ball away. But then again, I'm not a quarterback. I don't play that position. When you're under a lot of duress, you know, it can be very tough. And from us sitting on a couch or standing on the sidelines watching, it looks a lot easier when you're actually taking the snap and standing over center. And a guy that knows all about that is joining the show right now. I believe he's on a golf course, but former quarterback of the now Washington football team, former quarterback of the now Las Vegas Raiders, Jay Schrader. What's up, Jay? Good morning. How are you doing, bud? Oh, you know, I, I'm I'm doing well as long as I'm at a go, at a golf course with a golf club in my hand, Jay. I'm doing pretty well. 
well, there's some days when it's a good thing to be on the golf course, and then other days it doesn't work so well. So, you know, hopefully it's a good day. Well, I, I'm hoping you have a good day. You're a good golfer. I mean, you know, I remember the, the one golf tournament I played in you and my buddy Mike Prinny carried the show, and I, I hit a few putts, and we won a tournament. It was kind of fun. But, Jay, uh, so much talk this week, and I appreciate you joining the show this morning. But, obviously, uh, the John Gruden incident, so disheartening to the city of Las Vegas to see this go down. And, you know, when it started out, everyone kind of, I think, initially jumped on Gruden's bandwagon saying, you know what, come on, it's an email from, you know, seven years ago. I mean, eight years ago, what are we doing here? But then, you know, over the next couple of days, obviously a lot more comes out. We're still not privy to a lot of exactly what all of those emails said. But um, this is really, really disheartening. And a black eye to the Raiders football team and a black eye to the NFL. It really is, unfortunately. And um, I'm just surprised there's not more people involved. You know, that's what that's what concerns me, Brian. I mean, they, they kind of singled out Coach Gruden, um, and rightfully so, if that's what was in the emails. We don't know. We'll never be privy to all of it, I don't think. Um, you know, we just hear what they want us to hear. So, uh, it's unfortunate. Um, I think there's going to be some concerns now with the with the Raiders, who takes over the play calling. How does that work? You know how how are things on the sidelines? Because it's it's a major shakeup right now. It really is, Jay. And and and, and parlaying off of what you said, I mean, we've all heard now about the misogynistic and homophobic language used in a lot of these emails. But the point that you said about how is John Gruden singled out? I want to know about that. Now, you've been in both organizations. Um, you were there before Daniel Snyder owned the owned the Washington Football Team, though, correct? Correct. Yeah, I was there when uh, Jack Kent Cook owned the team, and uh, it's. Uh... You know, I was as a player. You don't, you don't know what goes on. You you come in. You you do your job. You're there. You're studying game film. You don't know what happens after hours. You know when the coaches are there till three, four in the morning. I I don't know. Um, so it's it's hard to say. Everybody's an outsider, as I said. They they're only leaking what it, what they want us to know for their cause. We'll never know the true story. Well, yeah, and that, that's what I was saying. It seems to me, and this is from an outsider, and knowing a little bit, I mean, we've got a little bit more of the inside track, that, you know, the NFL has a little issue with John Gruden, maybe more specifically Roger Goodell. And obviously we heard in the in the uh, the accusations, we haven't actually seen those emails, but uh, he had some, we'll say, unkind things to say about Roger Goodell, not that other people don't, but it just seems to me like they were out to get him. I mean, you know Daniel Snyder's involved in all these civil suits right now, but those things get tied up in litigation and in court forever, but nothing big. And John Gruden is just this tremendous fall guy. In no way am I trying to say John Gruden's some type of a martyr. He doesn't deserve that moniker based on everything we know, but it still is kind of head-scratching that you know, this goes on and one guy, and they're not even investigating John Gruden or the Raiders, and somehow he's the fall guy for the Washington football team. That's probably, to me, the biggest surprise of the whole thing. And and I do hope that more pans out. and We learn a lot more of this in the days and weeks to come. And not that I want to see other people get indicted or get in trouble, but I just want to see that there's been a thorough investigation because there is no way in hell John Gruden is the only guy that is involved in this. Although I do believe this, and Jay, your take, 
Mark Davis had no idea of any of this, and I think he's been kind of unfairly portrayed. I do think he should have said something, but uh, but come on, man, don't don't try to villainize Mark Davis on this one, right? I, I agree with you. I don't think Mark had any idea. Um, this was way before you know Mark hired him and everything else. So um, I think you hit it right on the head. You know, it, it was indicated that he said some unkind things to Roger Goodell. It was indicated he said some unkind things to Demarcus Smith. Those are the two guys, the most, the two powerful guys that run both organizations that run the NFL. You can't tell me they didn't have something with pinpointing Coach Gruden. No, I agree, Jay. Yeah, you know, and, and and that, like I said, I think I think as time goes on, this will become clear. The picture will clear. You know, it'll become a little more clear to all of us, and we'll see what went on. But uh, John Gruden's days are definitely done. Whether whether intentionally or unintentionally, he was vilified. This guy will never work again in any of these industries. And uh, and and I, I, I again, I can't say I feel bad for him. I'm still kind of numb and in shock over the whole thing. I just this didn't see. I didn't see this coming. This was truly a silent freight train I think to all of us Jay this Raiders team now being a former player I, I you know I, I'm sure you've dealt with plenty of controversy in your life in your career but as a football team how do you band together I mean you know I I know it's cliche-ish and I get tired of that hey you know you you know you next man up but in this case it's next coach up and it is really this is a big deal it, it is a big deal, and uh, I went through this when they fired Mike Shanahan and hired Art Shell, and uh, our first game was, you know, chaotic because we went from Mike Shanahan calling plays to uh, one coach calling the running plays, one coach calling the, the passing plays, and then sending it through Art Shell, the head coach, for a final approval, and it was a mess. It was a mess. We burned three timeouts in the first in the first quarter. Um, that's what I'm going to be interested to see. I know how much of this do they put on Derek Carr. How much freedom do they give him now to call plays and you know to change plays? Because you got a whole new set of, of play callers coming in. So the offense is going to have to try to just band together and see what they can do, piece it together, and hopefully it'll work out. What do you think watching this team, your personal opinion? I mean, the intestinal fortitude, Derek Carr, no longer, you can say, you know, he's got 30 years old now, so he's been in the league a little while. He's a veteran. I mean, they're going to look to him to lead the offense. Um, Basaccia, I mean, you know, special teams coach, these guys really have, the, you know, they've got players from every unit, so they do kind of have their hands all over the cookie jar of the team. But this is really, a, you know, like it's head shaking. Can this team, can Derek Carr, the, the, the veterans on this team, lead him? Can Bisaccia do enough job, a good enough job this year? You know, I've had questions about Mike Mayock from the very beginning. I, you know, but that's my opinion, and you know what opinions are like, Jay. But what do you think? I mean, your opinion of what the, what's going to become of this team this year? Well, it's, you hit it on the head. It's up to the players now. It's up to the players to band together uh, to figure it out. Um, this chaotic week. Um, it'll be interesting to see how they play today in Denver um, as they come together. It's up to the veterans. It's up to Derek Carr. It's up to the, the older guys on the team to, to step up and, and, and rally everybody together and say, hey, look, this, this has got to bring us either closer together or it's going to destroy the team. So um, it's going to be an interesting rest of the year, no question about it. 
Surely is uh, he is Jay Schrader, former NFL quarterback, the Washington football team, the the Oakland Raiders, and, and they, they all had different names back when you played. This things move around and change. But um, Jay, finally, last thing, uh, there's another uh, grudge match coming up here in uh, I think next month. The next time Denver actually turns around and comes back here to Las Vegas, Are you going to be a part of that this year? Yeah, I'll be out there playing. It's a lot of fun. Yeah, it'll be when Denver comes and plays the home game here. We'll have our celebrity grudge match go out and battle it out on the golf course. It's always a good day to go out and, and play golf. It's a lot of fun, and uh, I'll, I'll play this year. Jay, if I play on your team, don't beat me up yet like you did last year. At least we won, right? Well, at least we won. I mean, you, you made one putt, I think. So, you know, hopefully this year we, if we play together, you can make two. I'll need more alcohol. He is Jay Schrader. Jay, we really appreciate you joining the show. Hit him long and straight today, and we'll talk to you again soon. Thanks. Have a great one. Uh, again, Jay Schrader, appreciate him joining the show. And Chris Spencer, you know, we'll open this up for a little bit of conversation as we were all kind of, uh, as I said, um, Spence, I'll start with you. The, uh, you know, my my analogies, it was like a silent freight train. I mean, I don't think anyone could have seen this coming. And, uh, you know, but it came, it went, and uh, it's a big storm, a $60 million dollar costly storm for John Gruden, maybe a little bit more since he backloaded that $100 million contract a bit. Uh, I don't think Gruden's going to be hurting for money the rest of his lifetime, but uh, he'll be hurting for popularity. That's for damn sure. Well, who, they may have had like a back end deal. You know, he may not have missed on all of it. They may have had like a, you know, bleeping kind of thing where he gets some of the money, maybe half. Who, you know, those, those are the kind of money. Him and Mark Davis worked something out behind a closed door yeah. when Davis gave him an option to either resign or get fired. So, yeah. And him and Gruden talked and said, hey, let's do this, this, this. You know that happened. There's right. some kind of hidden he clause. He didn't leave it all on the table. Oh, like, he didn't of course stop not. making his checks. Of he got some sort of not. exit deal. But, you know. It's unfortunate, but it is time to move on. And honestly, I'm kind of glad to be done with the nostalgia train that the Raiders were trying to run, you know, drafting Henry Ruggs. Hopefully Mike Mayock is gone too. It's like, let's not worry about getting the fastest receivers anymore or the hardest hitting players. That is such an old-fashioned 1984 Raiders philosophy. Let's get Eric Bieniemy in and let's get a fresh face at the GM position too and give the power to the GM. Like, who knows how much Mike Mayock even has had to say. I don't want to give this guy free reign because we've had disasters at first round picks. So, you know, let's let's try to get get everything right social wise, but let's get the team right too first of all cuz this is going to be a disaster season. This isn't a very good roster. We don't have a wide receiver one and it's really starting to show now. You know, you got a fourth round pick Brian Edwards as the number one receiver is dropping wide open passes. So, you know, whatever happens this season, they'll win probably six, maybe seven games if they're lucky. But I'm worried about, you know, Eric Bieniemy because it has that kind of the same offensive flow. It's going to be the Travis Kelsey can be Darren Waller. You know, you got the Tyree kill on the team. So you, you got the system in place that he can work with. He's got to be the number one priority. Otherwise, I don't know who's going to leave this team next year. Well, Chris, uh, and, and wrapping this conversation up, what I will say with uh, the Raiders is if you go back to 2018, John Gruden's inaugural season with this team and what he's done with the draft picks, all starting with the departure of Khalil Mack because they wouldn't pay him. And then, of course, they spent draft picks trying to get guys to replace Khalil Mack. That has been Colin Farrell, I mean, as an example of how disastrous they have been. Most of his good draft picks have come in the later rounds, like Hunter Renfro, uh, Brian Edwards, is, uh, as uh, Spencer just mentioned. But uh, in the early round, Max Crosby, a great 
great pickup out of Eastern Michigan, but for the most part, his draft picks have been a bust to this point. Even Alex Leatherwood, people felt, came way too early in the draft at 16 or 17, wherever he was picked. They've already moved him to guard. I mean, this is looking like he has left this team in disarray, and I'm sure it's a combination of both him and Mike Mayock, who Spencer has never liked. But I think, Spencer, you'll be happy because if the team doesn't make the playoffs, which I think they're going to struggle to do, I think both him and Bisaccia will be replaced next year. And I think a guy like Eric Bieniemy is a perfect fit to come in, especially with the culture and the nature of what just happened. He'd be the perfect head coach, so to speak. Chris, what do you think uh, going forward here? Um, what a mess. Yeah, obviously quite quite the mess for the Vegas Raiders. Uh, you know, last week at this time we were we were going off the one piece of the email that we saw, but it was also important to to note that the statement that Mark Davis made last Friday was that they had received other things from the NFL and they were going to go through them. And then obviously the team plays on Sunday. They play a horrific game. They get they get really they were never really much in that game against the Chicago Bears. And uh, then Monday happens and we, we find out that there's a lot more than just uh, Mike or uh, John Gruden making the comments about DeMarie Smith's lips. Uh, you know, the, 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 the thing is, I'm not so sure how much blame Mike Mayock has on the roster of the Raiders because John Gruden ultimately was the guy who was making the decisions. I think Mayock was GM in name only, and I think at the end of the day, player personnel decisions were being made by the now departed John Gruden. Uh, I think Mayock deserves a chance. Now, I don't know if if that's going to happen, but if I'm the Raiders, and, and look, this is our team now, this is our city, I'm blowing this whole thing up. You're not a playoff team. You don't have the players on the roster to compete in the in the AFC West. Look, the reality is the Los Angeles Chargers have not only surpassed you, they have blown by you. Kansas City, yeah, they seem to have taken a step back. They're still really, really good. And Denver, I don't think we really know if they're a good or a bad team because they really haven't played the schedule to make you tell the Broncos are for real. I guess we'll find out today how real the Broncos are when they play the Raiders uh, coming up a little bit later today. Of course, you can hear that on our sister stations, Comp 92.3 or Raider Nation Radio 920 AM if you uh, happen to choose to listen to the game with Brent Musburger and Lincoln Kennedy. But the, the thing is, a lot of what Spencer said is accurate. They they don't really have that number one receiver um, you know, Brian Edwards is a guy who who is basically the de facto number one. Remember, they let Nelson Aguilar walk, who was a really big uh, part of the team's success last year. Uh, I, I I like Derek Carr. I think you can win with Derek Carr, but I think you you kind of have to start over. And I know Carr made the comments about he'd rather retire than than play for someone else. But I think if you're Mike Mayock, you need to take a really long, hard look at this roster and say. Is this guy a guy that we can win the Super Bowl with and go through every single position? Because if he feels that you need a complete overhaul, you've got to do it. You can't keep the, the worst thing in the world is to be seven and ten, eight and nine, ten and nine, or ten and seven. You have to have a, either a step forward or you have to go all the way back to the drawing board. The worst thing in the world is to be mediocre in the NFL. 
No, I couldn't. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think they do need to evaluate every single position on this team, starting with the quarterback position. Even though I've seen flashes of Derek Carr this year that have been as good as I've seen him ever play on the gridiron from college to professional, there are still moments of of indecision and things that will cost him big time in big time games and it has and it will continue to do so and yeah today will be a good test because the Denver Broncos uh, yeah the jury is still out on him but one thing's for sure the defense is much improved and that's all because of Von Miller is back and playing great football I thought the guy was like 40 years old he's actually only like 33 and Von Miller the way he's playing right now looks like he's got a all of again he's got an axe to grind again and looks like he's got something to prove I would not want to be a quarterback with Von Miller He's, it's like an Aaron Donald on the other side, a guy that's always going to be disruptive and plays the game to hurt you. So it's going to be an interesting matchup for the Raiders, and I think we'll learn today how they have taken this on their shoulders and whether they're going to fold or whether they're going to be competitive and go forward. We'll see. Um, real quick, a couple of key matchups, and I do want to try to talk about UNLV football and get to fact this in a second, but a couple of key matchups right now. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars are trying to make the Detroit Lions, the only winless team in the National Football League. They're up 17-13 over the Miami Dolphins in the third quarter. And uh, hey, I want that to happen. I want the Lions to go 0-17. I just, I, I'm smiling because I don't know what else to say. This team, like UNLV, and it's, I'm going to segue into the UNLV thing in a second, but this team, like UNLV, finds ways to lose. And uh, they'll, they'll continue to do it. They could lose every game this year. Wouldn't be surprised yeah. if Cincinnati Bengals rolling down into, into Ford Field today and um, I think it's like the bad news bears. What does that mean? Bad news for the Detroit Lions. Well, it's the Lions. They can break another new record. They can be the first 0-17 team now. I mean, that's that's exciting, I guess. That's what I'm looking at. The other big matchups today, San Diego 4-1 and and Baltimore 4-1 should be a hell of a football game. It's at Baltimore, and, and Justin Herbert, man, he just gets better and better every week. This guy is becoming one of the upper echelon quarterbacks in the National Football League in three or four years. He might be the best quarterback in the league and I know that's saying a lot with some of the guys in the league like Patrick Mahomes right now Lamar Jackson even up and comers like Trevor Lawrence but Justin Herbert the upside just seems to be getting better and better the Packers and the Bears in a big NFC North matchup Packers four and one they're at Chicago three and two Chicago will get a test today isn't it amazing Aaron Rodgers loses that first game of the season and I said I I had him on my fantasy team and I'm like you know the word that the worst thing that can happen to an NFC North fan other than a Packers fan, is Aaron Rodgers getting shunned and the Packers being said, wow, Aaron Rodgers doesn't care anymore. Well, yeah, he cares. They're 4-1 now. Second best record in the National Football League. Tied for the second best record. And a force to be reckoned with. The Packers will probably win the NFC North. Arizona, the only undefeated team. That should be a fun matchup in Cleveland today. They're 3-2. and two. And, you know, Arizona, man, some people still feel they're a house of cards that Kyler Murray will eventually stumble and fall because he's so small. They've got weapons. They've got as good as skilled position weapons as they have. They've got a really good running game, and we already know what they can do as far as receiving goes. And and Kyler Murray's a wild card, man. He can run the football. He can throw the football. He has to get more accurate throwing the ball on the run. But, hey, the bottom line is Arizona's 5-0, and so look out for them. We already talked about Vegas at Denver, a bunch of two and two, three and 2 teams possibly going in opposite directions. We'll find that out uh, this afternoon as well. And great matchup tomorrow night at the beginning of the season. I wouldn't have said the Buffalo Bills and the Tennessee Titans are going to be a great matchup. But, hey, both two playoff teams, Tennessee playing well again, 3-2. and two. And, again, defensively, they somehow get overlooked defensively all the time. And defensively, the Tennessee Titans are a good football team. Not great, 
but good. And uh, Buffalo, man, talk about another up-and-comer, a guy I didn't mention as far as one of the future superstars, a guy out of Wyoming proving that he can go to Wyoming and still be a great quarterback in the National Football League. I mean, this team, this quarterback, Josh Allen, is really something special, man. A lot of fun to watch for a guy as big as him. And he's so cerebral. I love listening to him. He listens to Frank Sinatra and Sammy Davis Jr. before the game. Talk about an old soul and a guy that is, that, that's pretty intelligent upstairs. That's Josh Allen. Fun things. Real quickly, uh, we won't have time to go into UNLV very much other than, again, they lost their 0-6, 0-12 now under Marcus Arroyo. And many thought yesterday, as I said earlier, might be the best chance for the team to win a game this season they didn't they found a way to lose it and uh, the big question at UNLV is a quarterback situation I still think Doug Brumfield is the best when he is healthy he's proven that although uh, Cameron Friel played really really well before he got hurt yesterday I don't know what they've got behind him Justin Rogers is definitely not the answer and Tate Martell he either has more of an injury problem than we know or he's simply just not that good and I don't know that we'll ever find out he's got another year of eligibility so if we don't see the guy take the field much in the next year and a half we'll know he's just simply not that good. They got a real short week. They're back at Allegiant Stadium on Thursday. They play San Jose State, who's 3-4. and four. And San Jose State just played a really tough game this weekend against uh, San Diego State. They lost 19-16. And, uh, you know, that is uh, – that's that's – Pretty damn impressive if you ask me to play that close. San Diego State is undefeated. They're 6-0, and they're ranked 24th in the country right now. So the Aztecs playing some good football, a good defensive team, and also have some offensive firepower. And uh, I think uh, San Jose State, it's not going to be pretty Thursday night with a short turnaround. I don't know how UNLV recovers from this. This is a game everyone felt they were going to win, especially as it got late in the game. Missed a field goal, get a field goal blocked, all the momentum for UNLV, and they didn't do it. So that's it. We'll talk more about UNLV next week as they've got another game again Thursday night. If you want to check out Allegiant Stadium, you'll probably get a ticket for like three bucks to see. That's going to cost you more than that to take a tour of the stadium, go to the UNLV game and walk around. It's pretty cool and you'll get a good seat to see college football. Real quick, Spence, go ahead and hit fact this. Fact this. If you don't like the facts, take your ass back to bed. Fact this. Fact that before yesterday, no team in Major League Baseball history had ever hit two grand slams in a postseason game. This was accomplished by the Boston Red Sox in the first two innings of Game 2 of the ALCS in Houston yesterday by J.D. Martinez in the first and Rafael Devers in the second. One one and a swing and a ball hit hard down the right field line. Will it stay fair? Yes, it will. Devers tosses the bat away, and the Red Sox have hit their second grand slam of the game. Tina's, of course, an that they let get away. He was also an ex-Arizona Diamondback. Still has a lot of pop in that bat and a, a great player, not just a good one. That is the um that is the eighth. First inning grand slam in postseason history. You know me and my 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 stupid statistics that drive Spencer nuts. But Boston is six and zero in postseason history when hitting a grand slam. They're now one and zero when hitting two grand slams the same day. And um, all I can say is, wow! If you saw that, it was pretty impressive. This is going to be a good series. Both wild card teams are in the prospective champion uh, a league championship series, uh, but it's cr- pretty crazy. Three teams won over a hundred games this year. 
two of them are no longer in the postseason. And the one that's left is the one that was a wild card in the National League, the Dodgers. Uh, and they're going to have their hands full with the Braves. You know, the one thing about the Dodgers guys, or I should say the, the, the Atlanta Braves, just people don't talk about, is they are pitching really well right now. And what's crazy, if you think about Atlanta guys, Chris, they spent 126 days this season with an under 500 record, but they played really well down the stretch. They finished with 12 wins in their last 14 games. And um, the Braves in 239, uh, they hit 239 home runs this year, I should say, and which was the second in the National League. And their pitching is really good right now. In the NLDS, the Braves held the Milwaukee Brewers to six runs in four games, a 192 average, and two for 20 three with runners in scoring position Chris if you were the Dodgers would you be worried about the Braves pitching right now yeah I think you kind of have to be and it's funny you mentioned how bad that were the record the Braves had for a majority of the regular season they were also blessed to play in the NL East which is the division my Mets currently stink up and uh you know that the division was terrible you had the Marlins who of course are are just horrific the Phillies who underachieve consistently and the Mets who probably underachieve even more than the Phillies. So, yeah, the Braves struggled a little bit, you know, out of the gate. But clearly they were the best team, and I think they're missing a, some really key parts of that team too. So they're kind of a scary team right now. They are, and one thing uh, with the Dodgers, and I've seen this all year, Chris, and Tim Kirkshin's talked about it a lot on ESPN this season. Base running in the na- in, in professional baseball is the worst I've ever seen, and last night was 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 indicative of that. I mean, what the hell were you watching at the ninth inning? Bellinger gets a base hit. And and uh, Taylor gets caught in between Chris Taylor in between first and second base or excuse me second and third base. He makes a turn. You either just gotta go or stay. You can't be indecisive in the ninth inning of a playoff game that's tied at two runs apiece, right? Yeah, and it's funny because the way Dave Roberts, their manager, played the game, you would think that base running would be an area where the Dodgers would never make mistakes because Dave Roberts was was one of the best base runners of his era. And, you know, it's just one of those areas where the Dodgers are going to need to clean up if they're going to make the World Series. It is. Uh, game two's today at 4.30. Max Scherzer, who wasn't supposed to start today, is going to go head-to-head against Ian Anderson, who has pitched tremendously for the Atlanta Braves. And as much as you would think that is advantage L.A. with Scherzer, which it is, the advantage is not nearly as big as you think it would. Ian Anderson is no slouch, and this Braves team knows how to win. And we've been seeing that, especially towards the end of the season. They're as hot and as good as anybody in baseball. And don't be shocked if they end up beating, winning this series against the Dodgers. It's going to be cool. And, uh, and, and either... Whoever whoever comes out of the National League, I'm pulling for. I cannot stand the Red Sox, and I mean I don't think there's anyone outside of the city of Houston that likes the Houston Astros. So you know, hey, we like Dusty Baker, but uh, that's as far as I'm going to go there. I mean, Altuve is a great hitter; he never needed to wear a wire. We'll leave it at that. We're out of time. This is out of line. I want to thank Jay Schrader for joining the show today. Of course, as always, my co-host and our social media director Spencer the Wiz Ostrowski, and back in the Fox Courts residence. Central Bank Corp Studio. Uh,